0: One of the main miracles that Jesus is known for is the feeding of the 5,000. It's in all four Gospels. Um, It was at the very peak of his popularity. And what I'd like to do is go through Matthew's account and fill in some of the details as we go along. But it has some links to the Old Testament, too, that should be noted. Um, Remember the, the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, there was the feeding with manna every day. And so, in a sense, this feeding bread to the masses was a, a picture of what had already taken place and what, in a sense, a fulfillment you know, of Jesus, because then he's going to go into it and he's going to say, I'm the bread of life. He's going to make that declaration, you, know, you ate manna in the wilderness and you died, but you eat of the bread of life and you're going to live forever. And so, even though this was the peak, there's coming a moment when he's going to Uh, address them and say, "Uh, this isn't what you're thinking. And he's going, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And so not only did it become the peak, it also became a place where a lot of people started dropping off and saying, no, we're not going to be a part of that. Now, at the end of this miracle, there's such an amazing response that, that people are wanting to make him king by force. And if you think, you know, roughly... Uh, say 5,000 men plus women and children were fed. So what if it's in that 10 to 15,000 range of people? You know, our, our dome uh, s- s- seating is what, 8,000? You can fit as many as 16,000 in there. Fill that thing up and say, that's, that's where, what the amount of people around him. So when they're, gonna, they're going, let's make him king. You know, they're looking at the crowd and saying, we can take this thing over. We can set our country free, but uh, that's not where he's going with all of this. And so, as we walk through this, uh, we're going to go to Matthew 14, but I want you to think about a couple things. How necessary was this miracle, for one? And then let's think about the effects of quantity in regard to how much blessing is available for everyone, Okay. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. It also says in some of the accounts that he did a great deal of teaching taught on the kingdom of God. But what you need to know in leading up to this, he had sent out the 12. They'd come back reporting miracles so that his name is getting spread around. But also he's coming off of the, 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 uh, the hearing that John the Baptist had been beheaded. So there's a grief in his heart, you know, there's, his name is going out, there's great things taking place, but there's also this awareness that John's been beheaded and, and things are rough. And so he says, let's go away, let's get away for a little while. And so they go to a remote region. And so they're, they're trying to get away, but people follow him. And there's this huge crowd, and, and he turns, and, and the effect of, on his heart is, that it's a compassionate response. He's not saying, I, Can I just be alone for a little bit? Which certainly would have been my thing. But, you know, he's, he's looking and he's realizing here's another needy situation. And he just starts healing people, he starts speaking the truth of the kingdom of God. And, and so, this, uh, this is the setting that we're walking into. As compassion heals their sick. And then it's getting late, and the disciples are going, you better send people away. Let them go into the villages and at least buy some food. So we're moving into evening. We're <laughs> on the Yellow Dog Plains, and it's time to go back and get something to eat. You know, and so it's not a simple venture, but it's, let's get this done. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something. What do you have? Some of the translators go, and they say, well, there's a little boy here with five loaves and two fishes. Now, there's several things that that take place in in my thinking. Um, What's a kid doing loose (laughs) in a group that size? Culturally, it was a different day, wasn't it? Uh, The fact that a kid would be safe in that setting. Uh, Jesus, remember when... When he had uh, gone to Jerusalem with his folks, he's 12 years old. They're a day back in the journey, and they suddenly realize he's not with them. It takes them three days to find him. But in this setting, this, this kid is there with five loaves and two fishes. And I'm going, only a kid's got enough to eat? <laughs> what was the thinking of the rest of them? Good thing is mom sent him out. I wonder how much food there was to start with. Uh, one of the writers says, that uh, or the commentators suggest that this kid was selling stuff. You know, a big group, and he'd been sent out to sell some bread and fish. Makes sense to me. But whatever the case, you know, the disciples come up and say, you know, five loaves, two fish. What's that going to do? And Jesus says, that's enough. And, and one of them responds, he goes, half a year's wages wouldn't pay for all of this. So the logistics of this thing are amazing. They have them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And then Jesus prays, breaks bread, and they start passing out these baskets. And the declaration is made that everyone eats and is satisfied. And then it comes back and and Jesus says, gather up the extra, don't let anything be wasted, and they have 12 basketfuls. Um, If you were one of the disciples and you're handing out bread and say there were 12,000 people, I like that because of the math, that'd be 1,000 people to take care of, right? This was no small event, and it would have taken a substantial amount of time So, all of this is going out. Everyone eats and is satisfied. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, How necessary was this? It's one meal, one evening. They're going to be hungry in the morning. When this came to mind, I was praying about something, and I I go through this dilemma when I I ask of things. And I I always get this self-condemnation angle that goes, how necessary is this? You know, I'm asking about something that, you know, really isn't essential, but it is something that would seem good to me. But I wrestle through as, you know, okay, God's desires, God's thing, but how how important is this for my life? Is this just an ego thing? And I'm I'm looking at this miracle, I'm going, this is just an act of generosity. Jesus, in the extension of his compassion, not only has spent time healing them and, and explaining the kingdom of God. But he comes to this moment and says, well, let's give him something to eat. And there's no true need beyond this moment. And it has to change the way that we think in in the sense of, is it possible that our God is willing to do things that aren't essential for our lives, but still would be an act of compassion or generosity or graciousness? It all depends how you see them, right? I mean, I'm used to looking at the statement at the end, don't let anything be wasted. You know, pick it all up, all the extra, we'll use it later. Because I'm used to dealing in quantities and limited amounts and yet God isn't bound by such things. And sometimes our prayers are bound by our own limitations. Where we take this path of necessity and duty and significance. And you know, and it's, it's only about what's, what's crucial in this moment. Our God isn't bound by such things. And it might be completely appropriate to ask what good might be accomplished. I mean, what if you pray, God, I'd love to be out of debt entirely. How about give me the wisdom to pay off my house quickly? And then right away there's this, yeah, that's kind of a self thing. Well, in relationship, don't you talk about things that you would enjoy or desire as well as the things that are crucial and necessary? And is it, is it important that you don't talk to, about, to God about things that might be pleasant or enjoyable or even pleasure with Him? It has to do with our perception, right? So, before I go on to the next point, let's in this moment just say, God, is there something that I, you would have me ask for that goes beyond necessary? Okay? Right now. If you're with your eyes closed, close your eyes. <laughs> I don't care if you have my open or closed, but let's, let's get to the point. If, if you're a generous God and you show compassion and that's part of who you are, and we're having this dialogue, would you put something in my mind that it would be appropriate to ask about, even though it might not be crucial or absolutely necessary? Why not? Isn't that part of what's taking place here? So, God, do that in our hearts even now, I pray. For me, it was one of those moments where it's like maybe this isn't an illegitimate prayer. You know, and and maybe I need to change the way I think. Because I I follow too rigid a structure of just saying, you know, it's got to be high level or I don't want to bother God with it. You know? And, and and I don't you know, I'm I'm not saying let's just jump into selfishness. That's not at all what I'm saying. Or let's just go chasing our goals, but let's allow him the generosity and graciousness of who he is and truly acknowledge he's compassionate and he desires active involvement in our lives. Here's the next thing. This is a miracle of quantity where everyone ate and was satisfied. The only way that you and I can function in a group together and truly believe that it is good for someone else to receive a blessing from God is that that's what his nature is about, and I'm part of that equation. And I don't have to believe that just because you get a blessing that I won't, because there won't be enough for the day. When you grow up in family life and there's only so much food on the table, it's first one that grabs it gets it, right? Now, you're taught to be a little more polite But you, you know, you either have the strategy of take a little on the first round and quick get the seconds, or you know that it's only going to go around once, so grab as much as you think you can get away with. But that, don't look at me like I was the only one that ever participated in that. (laughs) It's not true, and I know it. I've watched some of you eat. No, (laughs) just kidding, sort of. but, you know, we, in family life, there is that thing of, well, if they get a really big present, what's left for me? It's natural. But when we go before God, there are no limits in that measure. And if we're told that he gives gifts to each one of us that can be a blessing to the body, and that he participates with each one of us in our salvation. Then when we see someone else receiving of the Lord something good, there ought to be celebration because we're saying, that's what I'm connected to. And I know it's there for me as well. So I can celebrate what's happening to you because I know that there's also plenty in store for me as well. And it allows us to function together in, in community in a way that, that uh, enjoys the good that's happening rather than jealousy springing up and saying, oh man, why them? Oh, they get there first. Why did you do that for them? Now what's going to happen to me? Sometimes it happens when we, even things like, <laughs> you see somebody pray over someone. How come Dan got to pray with someone and had, you know, how come Charlie, you know, know, Charlie's always getting stuff. You know, well, if you're willing, God will do the same for you. It won't look the same because you're a different person. It won't be with the same people because you have a different sphere. But he most certainly will use you for the kingdom of God. This was, the, in John's gospel, this was the second relatively large miracle that in a sense was unnecessary. You know, with the, the turning water into wine, I mean, it saved a family's honor, but really it brings up a lot of questions, <laughs> You produced a lot of wine for a wedding that had already been gone for several days? (laughs) Was that wise? (laughs) You fed 5,000 people? Now they're going to expect you to feed them again? But in that, this, this wonder of God's compassion comes out powerfully. It's, they weren't essential miracles. But they were an essential part of a compassionate God. Later on, he feeds 4,000. Uh, you know, it just... We, we look at that, and we just kind of marvel at the, the wonder of it. One last point. Had I been there that day, the feeding of the 5,000, by mid-afternoon I'd have been looking at, I don't wear a watch, but I'd been looking at the time, and I'd been going, we need to get home for supper. Or, I don't know, this sure is a long meeting, you know. Yeah, people are getting healed, and it's, it's marvelous teaching, but getting tired, okay. And there's a long walk ahead, and, you know. There is, there is a certain value for seeing things through to the end. And those that were around long enough got to participate in the meal. And there are times when, you know, our time consciousness really works against us. And it's appropriate to kind of just step in with the community and see things to the very end. And that, I'm convinced there are times we miss out on the blessing of God just because we don't hang around and really see it through. A couple of weeks ago, we had kind of an interesting service to me in that this, the whole service had a somber tone until the very end. I talked about repentance, which is not the up subject, Right? You know, when we're dealing with our own sin, it's it's oh great, let's. Yeah. But at at the very end of that, after we had walked through repentance, and had in a sense that sensation of wholeness and cleansing again, peace. It was amazing to me that spontaneous dance broke out at the end of the worship time. Well, why? Because it was a moment for joy. We'd walked through repentance. We had dealt with the issues that needed to be dealt with. And then it was fully appropriate that joy take over. You know, I guess, you know, do you come into a service anticipating it? Not really. Can you force those things? No. Do you push for them? No. But when they come, you should certainly celebrate. And, you know, I guess, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm going, I need a a better understanding of the graciousness of our God. That when Jesus, while on earth, would look with compassion, even though he's tired, even though he's dealing with a sense of loss, even though he's trying to get away, when he looks and takes care of folks with healing and teaching and then finally feeding, it's a declaration of who our God is. And sometimes our thinking needs to change so that we can adequately deal with what he wants to do in our hearts. What an awesome thing that is. Would you stand with me? good and gracious God. We thank you for your salvation that washes away our sins. We thank you for your willingness to associate with us and allow us personal relationship with you. And we thank you for your generosity that continues to bless our life over and over and over again. We rejoice in you this day.